All right, we come to a pivotal chapter here in Genesis 44. This is where we find out what the dreams were about. This is where they are uncovered. In verse 1 of Genesis 44, And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Doesn't seem to be based on anything that they paid. Just give them as much as they can carry. So it would seem that he's sending them back more this time than they had last time. He's demonstrating a generosity to them. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Now, if you remember last time, one person had it in the mouth and the rest of them had it buried. They didn't mention that in scripture, but they only found one in the mouth when they, uh, when they camped. And then when they got home is when they found the rest of them. So the rest of them were buried. But he wants them to see in in each one, as soon as they start to unload it, that the money is there. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So Joseph is unleashing a plot here. It seems to be fairly well thought out. The plot involves some very full food bags the return of each man's money, and Joseph's silver cup. Now, it would seem that they had stayed at Joseph's house overnight and left from his house in the morning. The actual wording is that when the morning light became bright, they left. Now, this uh, servant, we pointed out before, but this servant seems to do whatever Joseph says, no, no questions asked. All right, you want me to put this stuff in the bag? Fine. You want me to go out there and, and chase after them? Fine. You want me to say that they stole it, even though I know they didn't? Fine. <laughs> He's alright. I mean, that's quite a servant to have right there. So either he fears Joseph greatly, maybe Joseph has involved him a little bit in what he's doing. Um, just don't know. But at any rate, we just, we see a servant who whatever Joseph says, he does. So he's dispatched as soon as the brothers leave the city. And he is told exactly what to say. Now this part in verse 5, it does cause some people some issues. Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You had done evil in so doing. There's actually debate as to whether Joseph practiced divination, being an Egyptian, being in the Egyptian culture. I don't see why there's any debate to this at all. Joseph does not practice divination. He seeks after the Lord his God, not the gods of the Egyptians. But the brothers expect him to be an Egyptian. And he has already known things about them that no one should know. And so he has maybe alluded to divination before as a way to cover this up. How did he know this? And so he may have alluded to uh, some of the practices of the Egyptians. Maybe the servant alluded to some of the practices of the Egyptians. And so they they know this about him, even though it is it's not true. Now, if you think, well, why does he 
Why does he lie to him? Well, why does he set him up? Why does he have the servant lie to him? You stole this. I mean, there's a whole lot of lies going on here. <laughs> and uh, I, when I was uh, dating my wife, there was um, <clears throat> actually our first date, which ended up being a date that we neither one of us planned. Um, I had to get her out to a birthday party. And so I had to tell her something that was not true in order to get her out to the birthday party. And so, of course, she confronted me after that. After that, how was it a minister? You know, could be lying in such a way. And so I said, well, it wasn't a lie. It was just temporary deception. And uh, I still hold to that. I mean, I, <laughs> I never... And planned on the deception being permanent. I only planned for the deception to go on for a, a short period of time and then it would be revealed. Um, and I had got a couple of people from, this, from the scriptures that I could hide behind as well who did something similar. But this is what uh, Joseph is doing. He is telling them some things that are not true in order to bring them to a place that he needs to bring them. So when I see the part about the Divination, the cup that he would use in divination, I don't have any problem with it. So if you just skipped over that before and didn't want to think too much of it, that's fine. In uh, verse 6, So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. So they were so confident that the cup was not there and no one had stolen it that they said look if you find it among any of us then that person will die you can put the sentence of death on them and the rest of us will be your slaves that's how confident they were and so he lessens it he says no I don't want uh, anyone to die whoever we find it with that person will be our slave and so they left it at that so the brothers agreed in verse 11, Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Now, whether it says they speedily did, they wanted to get this over with. They were so confident. So look, here we, here we are. Take a look. We have nothing to hide. And that's really the way, the way that it is even today and um, with anybody. If you know that you are innocent of something, you invite inspection. You invite it. Come on. Bring it on. If you know you are hiding something, you do everything you can to keep that at bay. And that's what you, that's what you do. There can be a confidence. I remember when we were down at Ken's Pizza and, and I was in higher up in the uh, restaurant chain at the time. And we were having a 
area general manager was coming in to do the inspection. And we were at a time at, at that point in the restaurant where we had no manager because the manager got fired. He was dealing drugs out in the back and a uh, bunch of other practices that were not not good. And so they fired him and they didn't have a replacement yet. And so we were actually uh, running the store even though no one had managerial training. So we were just, we ran the store for a couple of weeks like that. And so during the course of those couple of weeks, we had an area general manager inspection. And most people fear the food inspector inspectors coming to a restaurant because they had the power to shut you down. We didn't fear them at all. Because the AGM, when he came on through, was far tougher. Far tougher. They learned that from McDonald's. McDonald's would have area general managers come in and they were far tougher than the food inspectors because they figured if, if we're harder on you, then you'll keep things up. So if the food inspectors come on in, there's nobody's going to get shut down. And so they, uh, they learned that from, from the McDonald's chain. And so we had, uh, we did that. You remember my buddy Tony? Uh, we were primarily ones uh, going out there and running the place and he had certain shifts. I had certain shifts and, and we were just watching over the place and keeping things going. And so we knew this inspection was coming up. So whenever we had time, we would dedicate some of the people, some of the employees to clean certain things. And boy, we had that, we had that place clean. We had that, that, uh, we were ready for him to come on through. We looked forward to him coming through. In fact, when he came through, we suddenly gave, gave him a tour. And so he was going through and looking at things and one of us would crawl under the tables in the restaurants. And we would just talk to each other. Tony would talk to me. He didn't crawl under the tables. He was a much bigger guy than I was, so I crawled under the tables. But he would move other things, and and um, I would crawl under the table and say, "Well, you look at that. There is no gum underneath this table. How do you like that?" And then uh, sometimes we'd go back and move a whole table out of the way. Well, you look at that. There's not a speck of dirt behind here at all. Even the wall is clean. And we were just doing this throughout the whole restaurant. And the area general manager he started laughing at us. <laughs> you know, we weren't talking to him. We were talking to each other, but he got the message. <laughs> we had that place clean, and so he gave us a good report and just kind of uh, gave us a nod and smiled at us. He was he was kind of uh, tickled that we took that much interest in the restaurant and had done that. But you see, when you go through and you do stuff and things are up upright, you invite inspection. You want to check this out? Come on, check this out. And so we invited him to, to check it out. It's much like if you watch football when they started the... Um, what is it? The uh, instant replay. And if your team had a play and you watched the replay and you said, oh, I don't know if he was in bounds. I don't know if that was, uh, that may have been a fumble or you know, something and you didn't like it, but it was called the other way. You're kind of hoping, get the next playoff, get the next playoff, get, come on, hike that ball because you don't want the play to come under inspection because you know if it comes under inspection, the refs are probably going to, to do it. And so you see the guys that come on up to the line and they start to get ready to hike and all of a sudden you see the whistle blow and the red flag being thrown. Oh! And you're so disappointed because it's going to come to inspection. And you know if it comes to inspection, I saw the play, he stepped on the white line, he did he, whatever it might be, you knew that it's not going to come about because you know if it's clean, you invite inspection. That's one of the reasons that um, I hold to the view that I have, and I don't talk about it a whole lot, but I hold to the view I have about the election. If it was completely above board, inspection wouldn't be a problem. 
but uh, people are afraid of that. That always tells me something. If you're afraid of it, then there's something that you're trying to hide. Just, just bring it out. Just let it, uh, you know, if they were really that confident, let it be inspected and say, see, we told you it was fine. But anyway, these guys are completely on board. We're innocent. This did not happen. Come on, inspector. We're going to get down. We're going to open up our bags. Now, it seems from the wording that each person opened up their bag as soon as they got down. But I wonder if that really is the, the way that it was. If you were inspecting something, if, if I was inspecting, if I was the servant who came along and inspected, I don't want you touching your bag until I'm there. Right? Because if you touch your bag, you could move something. If you put it in there, then I don't want you moving it because you could cover something up. You could move something, shift things around. And uh, that's my viewpoint on it anyway, that the servant is probably, no, you just leave it right there. When I come over to you, you can open it. But don't open it until I get there. So each man may have opened their own sack, but I don't think they opened it until the servant was there to watch them open it. And so he was under instructions. Start with the oldest. We want that confidence to grow. We start with the oldest, nothing there. Here's something that's real interesting about this story. There is no mention of the money. The first time they came to the rest stop and they found their money in their in the mouth of the one sack, they were scared. They were taken back. Each man's money, each man, is in the mouth of the sack. So how come they don't see it? How come they don't make note of it? They must have seen it. But they're not making note of the money because what they're looking for is the is the cup. Now, can you imagine if you were the, the oldest and you came and you, you're Reuben and you opened up your sack? There's not going to be any any silver cup in here. And all of a sudden, when you open it up, here's your money bag. Uh, and the servant may say, I don't care about the money bag. That's That's your money. I got your money. Your money's back at the at the house. He probably gave them the same story they did before and they just brushed it off. I'm only looking for the silver cup. And so they go through Reuben's bag and there's no silver cup. And they go Simeon and Levi and there's no silver cup. And they go through Judah's bag and there's no silver cup. And they keep on going down the line until finally they get to Benjamin. Now I'm sure by the time they get to Benjamin they're probably breathing pretty easy here right now because we've made it through all these things and... Um, no, there's been nothing there. We come to Benjamin. We open it up. There's the cup. Oh, you can imagine if you're one of these guys. I mean, mm. now it has already been pronounced. Remember, Joseph gave him extreme. Just here's the instructions. This is what you need to do. This is what you say. And so when they were readied up the the ante, we'll all become slaves. Uh uh uh. No, I don't want all of you to become slaves. Whomever we find the cup with, he's the one who'll be guilty. I'll take him back. The rest of you are free to go. So they now have the exact same situation they had with Joseph. They can take the favored son and allow him to be carted off out of the family. No longer a problem. And they can go home. And they have they are completely free of guilt. With Joseph, they were not. They were guilty. But on this one, they had, there is no guilt with them at all. They have done nothing. They could do it. So when they found it amongst Benjamin, 
Verse 13, Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Each man loaded back his donkey, put his put all the stuff back in because they had uh, gone through it all, checked it all out. They got back on the donkey, and they all headed back to Egypt. Now, if they go back to Egypt, they're risking everything. They are putting a whole lot at risk. They're risking their lives. They're risking their freedom. They don't know if the servant is being more forgiving than Joseph will be because they've seen the harshness of Joseph before. If we go back into the city, we're taking all the food. What if they confiscate all the food? That means our family dies. They perish. They don't have long. They don't have much food there. They need us to come back. Can you imagine that choice if you were there? Should we go back and bring some of the food and then come back and try and deal with this situation? That at least help them out with, with that. They had a lot of choices. But it seems like, nope, we need to go back. We need to help Benjamin out. We're a family. He's our brother. We're going. We're going to help him out. And they put everything at risk to come back and help help Benjamin. So nothing is said about the money. Verse 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there. Well, of course he's not leaving because he knows who's coming back. He knows how this thing is playing out. And they fell down before him on the ground. How many times is this that they have come and they've prostrated themselves before their, their brother Joseph? And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? In other words, you can't get away with something without me finding out about it. Well, there's no divination needed. They were set up. <laughs> then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. In other words, get out of here. I don't want you to see you. Go, I've got the, I've got the guilty man. But what a statement by Judah. What, what you will notice about Judah's statement is, first off, he makes no excuses. He doesn't blame anyone else. He doesn't try and say, hey, we were set up. I don't know if they had a conversation between them and Benjamin on the way home, because if you were the servant and you were expecting to find a guilty person, which he was, because they knew the cup was there, even though the brothers don't, would you not have come with bonds? And be able to put him under bonds and put him on a place that is separate from the brothers so that the brothers can't try and free him? Uh, that's what I would do. So they may have been separated at that point. The ten brothers over here and the one Benjamin over here. And Benjamin may have gone on ahead with the servant and the men that were with him and the brothers may have come in behind them. So they may not have been able to talk to Benjamin. They may have been talking to each other. Do you think Benjamin really did that? Come on, Benjamin has never stolen a thing in his life. He's like, of all of us kids, he's probably the best of one of them. 
Why in the world would Benjamin need to steal anything? He's been given triple and quadruple of everything that we've been given. So they probably had discussion among themselves. But they may not know because they may not have been able to talk to Benjamin. Benjamin, what do you think is up with this? Because don't I don't get the picture of this that all 11 brothers are coming back all together and the servant is up ahead of Omar somewhere else. I think that servant has got Benjamin in custody. And they're following him behind. And Judah, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? He offers no excuse. He doesn't pass blame. He doesn't say, please conduct an investigation. I know we didn't put it there. I think a lot of people could have been saying, look, we didn't put our money in the sack. Whoever put the money back in the sack is probably the one who put the cup back in it. I mean, wouldn't you think that? You didn't put the food in the sack. You didn't put the money in the sack. So certainly you didn't put the cup in the sack. It would seem to to be that way. But he does not bring that in as an excuse. How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also, with whom the cup was found. Boy, he just throws himself out there. All right, we're guilty. We didn't think we were. Kind of shocks me that, that we are, but the cup is here. We will be your, we will be your servants. Joseph said, no, I don't want the rest of you. I just want the one. That's it. And this is the moment the dream pointed to. This is the situation that the dream was trying to get Joseph to prepare for, what he had to seek, got after. We have to recreate a decision to go back to Jacob without the favorite son, but this time with no guilt on themselves. Now remember in chapter 37 when they saw Joseph from afar, they first decided to kill him in verse 20. Chapter 37, verse 20. They first said, let's kill him. Then they decided to throw him in a pit, verse 22, and let him starve to death. That was Reuben's idea so he could come back and rescue him. And finally, they decided to sell him into slavery. So here they all are. They're in the presence. They've been declared guilt-free. Go on and go. Take all the stuff with you. Once again, the divination thing is, is brought up. They do not know that he set them up. Even if they have a slight suspicion of it, they might think, well, if he set us up, why wouldn't he try and get all of us into slavery? But Joseph refuses to punish anyone except for the person we found a cup with. Now we get to verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a, or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man and a child of his old age, who is young, his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. 
is the brother dead? Obviously not. Do they think, do they know the brother to be dead? They do not. They sold him into slavery. They may think he could be dead. The father believes he's dead. They presented a story in which he is dead. If you repeat a lie often enough, people start believing it. That's why you gotta be careful with some of this stuff. But they must have, for all their, how many times did Jacob say, oh my son Joseph, oh he's dead. Yes dad, he's dead. Yes dad, he's dead. And this is going on, this conversation for probably a long time. And he's mourning about Joseph. Remember, I imagine that every year on the anniversary of that time. Oh, it's been one year. And my son Joseph was killed. Oh, it's been two years. So this has been going on for them for a long time. They've been hearing, Joseph is dead. Joseph is dead. Joseph is dead. They may believe the lie. We look at some of these people in high up positions in our country and spouting lies. And we know them to be lies, but they seem like they believe them. It could be they believe some of the lies that they tell. You tell, you say a lie often enough. Verse 21. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not, you shall see my face no more. This is just in case Joseph forgot any of this. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now before we go on, just remember this. Joseph really has no idea what his father thinks became of him. He may surmise, he may wonder, but he has no idea because he was being taken off in the in the cart. And he's not seen or heard from anybody from the, the home. And so when they came the first time and they said, one is no more, oh, that's the story they gave. Now they're giving a little bit more of the details. Oh, they say I was torn by a beast. Mm-hmm. Now they haven't come clean about this yet. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us that he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant, your father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. That's quite an intercession. Judah intercedes for Benjamin with all humility. He's very humble when he does it. He is um, very genuine. He offers his own life 
in place of the one who has been found guilty. Boy, who does that sound like? Notice, Judah is the one who stands up and offers his life for the one who was found guilty. And Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. His concern here is for his father. The same father who has treated all the sons very poorly and with obvious disfavor. Obvious. They've even said, you don't care if the rest of us die as long as you got Benjamin. Now this will get Joseph to put everyone out of the room and he will reveal himself to his brothers. But this is what the dreams were for. This is what it pointed to. If Joseph just stayed with the weak understanding that most people read this story and have, that his father had, that his brothers had, that he was going to be a ruler, and that's the extent of it, then what we just read would never have happened. What God was trying to get him to understand is that there's going to be two situations. And what happens between those two situations is what I need you to focus on. The first situation is the 11 brothers come in. The next thing that will happen is your father and the whole house will come as well. And so Joseph is seeking out the Lord. All right, the brothers are coming. The brothers are coming. What am I supposed to do? And so as he seeks the Lord on this, God shows him, we've got to fix the brothers. We have got to fix them. They're broken. They're caught up in the sin. They're under the guilt of that sin. And surely when they came with the ten, he saw the guilt that they were under. Surely that is because the way we treated Joseph. We didn't hear, we didn't have mercy on him. We didn't pay attention to his pleas. And so God gave him an assignment because he knew that Joseph would press in to find out what this was. What am I supposed to do? Now, could God give the same kind of an assignment to you? Maybe God has given an assignment to you. And maybe we have settled for a lesser meaning and never saw the intent, never saw the purpose that God had for us to accomplish. Would you seek him like Joseph did? To understand? Would you pursue the deeper meaning when others settled for less and put pressure on you to do the same? This is how we understand that. Why in the world are you pressing in and trying to find something different? Why are you spending all that time on that? Let it go. Would you stick it with it? Like Joseph did, even when his emotions were being torn up. Even when we saw him, he had to withdraw from the room. Because everything in him wants to reveal himself to his brothers. But he has a purpose he has to accomplish. God has given him a purpose. Joseph, I need you to do this. I know this is going to be hard for you. I know this is going to hurt. I know this is going to cause you to be separated from your family for longer. See, the first time that they came on down, if Joseph just said, Hey, guys, all's forgiven. I'm Joseph. Bring the family down here. I want to see them all. 
But that didn't happen for a while. Now later on, as we read through the story, we're going to find out that there are five more years of famine according to Joseph, which means two years have gone by. More than likely, a year has gone by since their first time coming by and seeing Joseph. And we're getting close to the end of the second year. Joseph is saying we have five more years to go of this famine. We're going to have you bring everybody down. How much can God entrust to you? How much can he count on you? How much can he challenge you with? What's your limit? Joseph, through all the different suffering he went through as far as being a slave and the false accusations he was under and the things that he went through in prison, he was able to learn how to suffer and how to come out on top. And Joseph was going to do some suffering through here. Can you imagine the first time the brothers come down and he has to send them off knowing they won't be coming back for a while? Sends them off. And now he's got one of his brothers here and he can't go down and talk with them and reveal himself to them. If he had done that, then on their way out of the city, what would Simeon have done? Hey guys, that was Joseph. So it probably also means that during that time that Simeon was there, he didn't spend a whole lot of time with them. He couldn't risk Simeon finding out. So he had to go on and continue to be separated. See, what we had to do is we had to get these brothers into a place of true repentance. Not just that they were repentant. We had to get them to the place where they realized that they were repentant and that mercy was okay for them to receive. I put three things down that true repentance involves. First off is a change of heart. A change of heart. This is remorse is present, but that alone, of course, is not sufficient. Yeah, I can't imagine the scenario in which I repent, but I don't feel sorry for what I did. Feeling sorry doesn't bring repentance, but it sure ought to be a, a part of it. They need to have a change of heart. We see this, the, they had a change of heart. They were sorry that they had done this. They're seeing bad things that happen in their life as being the result of what they had done to Joseph. The second thing is a change of direction. I won't pursue this anymore. If I intend to go on out after I, after I ask for repentance and plan on going and doing the same thing, how much have we really repented? And the third thing is a change of purpose. I am submitted to a will not my own and will pursue the purpose assigned. That is really the final, final thing. When we know that we have a change of purpose, that I have submitted my will to the will of another, then I know that I have repented. I realized what I did was wrong. I have changed my direction. But I am submitting myself to your will and to not follow in this way again. Change my purpose. Now here's the thing. How would they know that they've really done this? How would they know that they have truly repented of this See, the enemy loves to have you get involved 
where things like this that the brothers did against Joseph and used it against them all their days. It will hinder the blessings of God come upon their life because every time the blessings of God come upon them, I don't deserve this. I deserve judgment because they feel so guilty because they certainly have a change of heart. They have remorse. But how do I know I'll never do that again? And they don't get the chance to try it with Benjamin because Benjamin is locked up. He's home. You will not leave anytime. Ever. You're staying right here. But here they left and they submitted to a will that was not their own. The will of their father. Benjamin's life is worth more than all of ours. Why? Because it is to my father. Because his life is worth more than all the Simeons, all the Levi's, all the Reubens, all the Judas. I will offer my life for that of Benjamin. Because when we left, we submitted our will to, to, to the will of Jacob. And we said, we will bring him back. And so even at the cost of his own life, he was willing to stand up. Now see, this, this just didn't happen. This happened because Joseph got a plan. How are we going to do this? The dream involved 11 brothers, but the first time they came, they had 10. We're not there. We had to get to the place where the 11th brother is there. Now, I don't know if he figured this point out ahead of time, but he may have been thinking, God, if you want me to get to the place where 11 brothers are here, you know Benjamin's not leaving that house. How are we going to get him here? And maybe that part came to him as well. Maybe it came to him on the spur of the moment. Whatever it was, we had to get to 11 brothers being here. Once we got to the 11 brothers being here, we had to create a situation in which the 11th brother, Benjamin, is found guilty of something. And to see how they would respond. You see, what he's doing is he's giving them a chance. He's giving them an opportunity. I think Joseph believes in his brothers. I believe they changed. I believe they wouldn't do that again. But his brothers don't know it. They believe maybe that they've changed, but they don't know it. And every time that the deceiver, the accuser, comes by, he's always saying, you would do it again. If you had the opportunity to do the same thing to Benjamin, you would do it again. Because you so hate him. You so hate your father for all the things he's done. And they probably are thinking, I don't think I would. But the accuser keeps coming and coming and coming. Yeah, probably. I don't know if I would do it or not. And so there's always that uncertainty. They don't, they don't know. See, when they were accused of stealing the silver cup, they don't, we didn't do it. They had every confidence in the world. They'd show them our bags. We didn't do it. But here when the accuser comes up and he tells them about this, they don't know. And so Joseph, his assignment is make them know. Make them know they have fully recovered. They are in a position to receive my mercy. And not only my mercy, they're in a position to receive the blessing. Because if the brothers don't receive the blessing, how are they going to bless the world? If they can't receive that blessing, if they live under that curse, if they live live under that condemnation, how will they become the blessing they are to be to the rest of the world? And so you can see this whole thing is a scheme that the enemy has unleashed. He has put this extreme favoritism into the father. 
And then he goes over to the brothers and he develops this hate because of this extreme favoritism. And he stirs this up until the point that the brothers want to kill him. And once they go after that, once they put him in the pit, he's got them. And he will hold them under that all of their days. Joseph put it in a place where they would know. They have no idea this is Joseph. They have no idea. And they have been set up. They think this is real. They think this is genuine. And Judah thinks he is swapping his life for Benjamin's. He will be a slave the rest of his day. From here on out, they will know. When we were tested, we stepped up. See, it's one thing to know, or at least to think, I have truly repented. But it's a whole other thing to, to know it. What these brothers did here in this situation was they exposed their change of heart. They exposed their change of direction. Because they didn't go back when they could have. And they showed their change of purpose. We have no longer holding on to our purpose, which was, he's in our way. Let's get rid of him. Nope. Our Father sees it this way. So this is what we need to do. Joseph's elaborate setup is intended to put them in a situation like they were before. As, as much as possible. I mean, if you put them in exactly the same situation, that might be a little too obvious for them. But it's close enough that it tests those things that are in them. And they will know without any doubt they have proved in themselves they have made the change. So there are situations that people put themselves in and they wonder, am I truly repentant? Am I worthy of mercy? The accuser will continually beat them up over this. Don't give them that occasion. There was a time many years ago a lot of years ago here at church we had somebody who was involved in a position it was a position we relied on and this person was dating somebody in the church and they decided because of situations that they had run into and they he invited the girlfriend to come live with them and when I got word about it and there's He's, uh, he's still in the position doing the, the things he was doing and it was a position we needed. I pulled him aside and I said, is this what you're doing? He didn't hide it. Yep. And he explained to me his situation, the family situation, the things that had put him into that place. <clears throat> I said, well, I understand. But you should have come talk to me. We could have found somebody else for her to stay with. Could have uh, solved this thing. And he had no intention of changing it. She was going to continue to live with him. Yeah, well, we're going to go find a... a, a, get everything set up and get married. And they wanted me to do the wedding ceremony. And I said, I won't do it. See, because when they did that, I I tried to tell them this. I tried to explain this to them. I didn't get very far with it. But I at least told them. I said, if you do not straighten this out now, 
that if you two do not separate right now and then get married, the enemy will hold this over you for the rest of your married life. That you did not do what you should do as the head of the household. That you were weak. Whatever it might be, he'll come. He'll come and he will accuse you. I don't want that to happen for you. Help, let us help you. Let us find a place for her to stay. But he was, he was set on it. So I said, well, you cannot do the position anymore. And we removed him from what he was doing. And, you know, we may do without having that, uh, that going on. But um, that, they did eventually go and they, they got married at a justice of the peace. I did, was able to keep traffic for a little bit. The, the marriage did not last all that long. I don't know if it, uh, if there was guilt from all that. No idea. All I know is that I, I told him what God had put in on me. That's why I don't do situations. I won't, I won't marry people when they're living with each other. I've had a few other opportunities where that was, that was there. I just won't do it. Because you will live under that condemnation for the rest of your life. You can't fix it. Because once you're married, there is no separation. And you, the devil will always come back and hit you over the head with it. Don't let him do it. See, there are certain things when people move into a sin and they fall into a sin and they commit the sin and they repent and they go on. But there are sins that the devil leads people into that are our lifestyle change. And they adopt a lifestyle. They adopt a gay lifestyle. They adopt the... Just things that I cannot repent of this because I am involved in doing this. This is, and I have no intention to change. And that just sets people off into a wrong direction, and it will it will hinder them, it will hold them back. And this is what Joseph is helping them get free from, because until they know, if we were given the same situation, would we do the same thing? Would we do it? And they would never know because the accuser would always come over and beat you over the head. You know you would do it again. You know you got hate for Benjamin just like you had hate for Joseph. But here it is. They were put on the line. Every single brother came back into Egypt, into the city. They followed Benjamin. Not a single one stayed back. Not a single one went on. They didn't say, look, you three go on, the rest of us will take the food back. They didn't do that. All of them came back. Judah was a spokesperson because Judah is the one who, who made the surety. So he was a spokesperson. But I bet you if Judah didn't do it, Simeon, Levi, Reuben, someone else would have stepped up. But Judah was the spokesperson because he took charge of this. But I bet every single one of them was there. And they were all saying, I'm with you, Judah. I'm with you. And if he won't accept you, he can have you and me. And you see, that's all they needed. From that point on, if the enemy comes up and he accuses these folks, you are not deserving of God's blessing. You are not deserving of God's mercy. They can say, oh, yes, we are. We had the opportunity to do the exact same thing and we put our own life on the line to show that we would not do it. Here's the real interesting thing about this dream. This dream comes to Joseph before the brothers did it. Before the brothers ever sold him into slavery. Before they ever threw him into the pit. This dream comes to Joseph. 
He doesn't know what it means at that point, but he keeps it in mind. He keeps meditating on it. Maybe it's something he can't even figure out until after the action is done. But God says, I know what's coming. And I'm going to need you to help fix it. Because Joseph, of all the people in the family, you're the only one I can count on here. And so he gives him the dream. Isn't that amazing? That before they even committed the sin, before they even came against their brother, God had put a plan in place to restore them and to show them that God's plan for them was mercy. God's plan for them was blessing. And the very brother that they meant evil for is the very brother that saves their life. Brings them on down. We're going to see something in the chapters to come. That all of Egypt gives away all their money, all their cattle, all their land, all their houses. They have nothing. But you know what the Israel has? The family of Israel, they have everything. Because the food doesn't cost them any money. Joseph provides it for them. They don't have to spend their money. They don't have to sell their flocks. They don't have to give up their land. Though the only one in the entire kingdom doesn't have to do it. Now, if they were not clear of all this, they would still be thinking, we don't deserve God's blessing. We don't deserve God's mercy. But God got them all cleared of it and they are set up and they understand we have changed. That's who we were. That's not who we are now. And Joseph unfolded this plan that God had given him about what he was to do. Before you have even committed some of the sins that you committed, God had a way to restore you. God saw, I need them to know my mercies are great and I will extend the mercies to them. If God would extend the mercies to these folks, certainly he would extend the mercies to you. If God went through all this to make sure that they knew that they were restored, don't you think God wants to make sure that you know you're restored? You see, God didn't need them to go through and to prove all this. But they needed to prove it to themselves. Because they were not likely to just take God's word for it. But if you can just take God's word for it, who says that his mercy is greater. If you just take God's word for it. You won't need to go through all this elaborate stuff. Father God, I know I don't deserve your mercy, but I thank you that you poured it out on me. And because your mercy has been poured out on me, I can receive the blessings of God. I don't get what I deserve. I get what you intend to send my way. And I thank you for it. Well, Father, we thank you for your great mercy. How much you love us, how much you care for us, these brothers, as evil as they were, as mixed up and unrighteous and unspiritual as they were, you still said, I can use them. And we're going to make sure 
that they're in a place to receive the blessings of God, the mercies of God. And you singled Joseph out. Joseph, I need you. I need you to help those people that tried to hurt you. I need you to hear me for a plan. Bring these things about. Because this plan will take place in between the two dreams. Father, I thank you for the way that you help us. As much as we think we know how much you love us and how much mercy you have for us, we probably in reality don't have a clue. Because it's always greater than what we think. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any comments, questions? Did I forget anything in your outline? I think there's a whole lot there for you to fill in. These dreams are always about preparation. It seems that most dreams are about preparation. Dreams are not about the event. Joseph, I need you to get ready for what happens after you see this and before you get to everybody coming here. I need you to do something. Once you see this, before this happens, you've got to do something for me. Just like the two dreams that came that had preparation. You need to do this between the dreams so that you're ready. Not if God doesn't speak to everybody in two dreams, but He did to Joseph. And He got him ready. Two dreams, two dreams, two dreams. How many other times it may have happened to him, I don't know. But God was telling him, you're a two-dream guy. He needs to get you ready to find out what's going on. When we get to heaven, we'll find out when did Joseph hear the plan. Because he gives us no indication. But we know he had it when they came. He was ready.